Okay, turning your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3. Of course, we're continuing our study of the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings. We're seeing in chapter 3 the fall of mankind, and there's so much involved, and we've seen already the temptation and the fall. Tonight, as we continue, we're seeing what I call the cure and the curses, or the curses and the cure. Last time, we saw the woman was tempted by Satan to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and the woman saw that the fruit, she said, well, it was good for food, and it was pleasing to the eye, and it looked good, and it was one to make you wise, and so she would be like God. And so she ate, and she knew that. She gave to the man. He ate. She was deceived, but he sinned knowingly. And so we're now at the results of the fall. God comes to the man and to the woman, and there's three things tonight, I think three keys as we look at this. Oh, there you are. Oh, I didn't know you were going to do that. I, I, would have, uh, I would have talked much slower if I'd have known that you had to get all the way up there. Okay. <laughs> there are three key things that we got. The confrontation by God, which we're going to see the whole guilt. The curse of sin to all those involved begins with the serpent and goes on. And then the cure for sin, which is the seed of woman, God's Messiah, and the picture that God gives. So last time, the confrontation. This evening, more of the details of the curse upon the serpent, the devil, the man, the woman, and the entire creation. So there's a lot there. So let's start with a prayer, and then we'll get into the passage. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a great night. Thank you for our time together, and thank you for our Savior Jesus. Lord, we never want to take for granted what you have done, how you so loved us that you sent Jesus. He came to this earth. He became a person. He died on the cross. He paid for sin. He rose again. He has uh, uh, paid for sin and conquered death. And so, Lord, thank you for that. He indeed is the seed of woman who will crush the head of the serpent. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, and we thank you, Lord, for that. Lord, we ask you that as we study tonight, you will teach us, especially as we put this together. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there is a principle that you see all the way through the Bible. Galatians 6, 7, and 8 is the principle of sowing and reaping. It says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatever man sows, that shall he also reap. If you sow of the flesh, you reap corruption. If you sow flow of the Spirit, you, you, uh, if you sow of the Spirit, you reap life. And that's the bottom line. And that principle goes over and over, no matter what it is and no matter where it is. We realize from God's Word that there are consequences to disobedience. Hebrews 12:6. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every child he receives. So the bottom line is that God deals with us, deals with his children. He loves us in, in, a, in everlasting love, but he loves us and deals with us. We see that principle, what you sow, you reap. We saw in the first way all the way back, chapter 3, we see the fall of man and that there are consequences. God said beforehand, if you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, there's going to be consequences. And sure enough, he says, in the day that you eat from that, die and you shall die. And that's what happened. And we see what happened last time and, and she ate and, and all of that. We continue this evening. We're going to see what happened. We're going to see the fall of the man and woman. We're going to see the curses and the cure. And God gives the man and woman the consequences but we see His grace. And you know, God always deals in grace. Even right before the flood, you know, when the whole world was this, it says, and Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And you see Abraham, God choosing the man named Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob and all the way down. There's always grace. God always deals with mankind <clears throat> in grace. So, let's begin. We saw last time... God's coming, they sinned, they went and hid, and then God comes. And if you remember what happened, God came in the cool of the evening, and they heard him coming, so they went and hid. And people say, well, how long was that after they ate the fruit? I don't think it was very long at all, because the serpent's still there. When God does the confrontation, you've got the man, the woman, and the serpent all still there. They went and hid, and God comes, and of course, you know, God knows everything, but he says, uh, where are you? And what he's wanting to do is come out and say, ha, I'm over here. Naked. I'm over here because what I've done is I've done exactly what you told me not to do and I blew it. But he doesn't really do that. 
He's over there hiding, and he says, I'm over here hiding because I'm naked. And he says, have you eaten? Have you eaten from the tree? Now, God knows that he's eaten from the tree. He knows everything. He knows everything about our lives. And what, what he should have said is, yes, I did. I, I, wasn't, I should not have listened to my wife. I should have done exactly what you said. I knew what's right, and I didn't. But he doesn't. He just says, my wife is the one. The one you gave me. The, uh, you've given me a defective woman. I mean, that's what he says, right? He says, the woman that you gave me. And if you realize, verse 12, the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me from the tree and I ate. And the bottom line, he's saying, it's really your fault. He, he blames God and the woman. Instead of taking the blame himself, he blames God and the woman. He says, God, it's your fault because this is the one you gave me. And she caused this. God looks at the woman and says, what have you done? And she says, the serpent deceived me. And so that's where we are. And, and you know, it's so amazing that, that he started with the man and the man said the woman, and he moves down and says the woman, and she points to the serpent, and he moves down this way. And when he starts to curse this, he starts with the serpent and moves back to the woman, and then moves back to the man. So it's like he goes down the line and comes back. But let's see what he says about the serpent. It, it, it's all tied in with the curse, the seed of woman, and all of those things. Verse 14, the Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this, Cursed are you above all the cattle, and more than every beast of the field, on the belly on your belly you will go, and dust you will eat all the days of your life. Now he begins with the serpent itself. He begins with the serpent himself. <laughs> he begins with this with the with the snake. And what he does is he curses the serpent. There's a reason for that. You could say, well, listen, it's just an animal. I mean, it was an animal controlled by the by Satan. Or, or you know, it was so why in the world would he do that? It's a picture. From that point on, every time any human sees a what? A snake? What do they think? They go, the thing is slithering around on the ground. And if you stop and think, why is the serpent on the ground? Because that's part of the curse of the fall. And every time we do that, every time we, we see a snake, we ought to say, you know the reason the snake's down there? It's because we sinned. Because we, 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 Adam and Eve sinned and all of us come into this world sinners and we're fallen people. So he says from this point on you'll crawl in your belly. We don't know what it would look like. Did it have legs? We don't know what the animal looked like. You know, we talked about this at the very beginning when the serpent came and talked to the woman. It, it, she did not seem surprised that this animal was talking to her, which I think is a strange thing. So we don't know what it was like before the fall. Cursing you more than all the cattle, more than every beast of the field on your belly, you will go in the dust you shall eat all the days of your life. So first of all, it's with the curse on, on, on the snake. And then he moves to, really, it's Satan after this, because he says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He will bruise you on the head, and you will bruise him on the heel. Now he's talking to the serpent, and he says, I'll put enmity. There'll be, there'll be conflict. Uh, in the, in there between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed, and and the question is seed. What seed? What seed would Satan have? Well, the idea most believe that he's talking about the whole fallen world, the fallen people, even the demons. Who knows? There's going to be enmity between man and man and the devil. And, and, and fallen man, and, and some even say between believers and unbelievers, we don't even know how that's fitting, but he says between your seed and her seed, and, and when he says between your seed and her seed, the idea there, what seed? The seed of woman? Could the seed of woman, we're talking about just human beings? Or are we actually talking about the seed of woman who is the Messiah? And I think if you really look at it carefully, the whole idea in this is embedded in this is man's only hope, which is the seed of woman. Because what is he going to do? He's going to bruise 
bruise on the head. He said, he shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. And what we realize is there's going to be conflict between Satan and Christ because the seed of, of this serpent really is Satan. That's who it is. And that the whole fallen world and the, the, the enemy of mankind. And then we see the seed of woman ultimately could be every human being that's, that's the seed of woman in that sense. But the particular seed of woman is the Messiah and the Savior. And he says, he will bruise you on the head. That's a death blow. Crushing the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. Uh, what, what he really is saying, and best we can tell as we've looked through this, is that something's going to happen to the seed of woman. And most believe that this is pointing to the, to the death on the cross, where he goes to the cross and he dies, pays for the sin of man. He is bruised, in a sense, and, and comes back from the dead. But the crushing of the Satan is the crushing of sin, the crushing, the payment for sin, and the great victory. And so somebody, some say that there's the symbolic, that struggle. First John chapter 3, verse 8 says, Jesus Christ appeared that he might destroy the works of the devil. And so the first promise, and, and as people say, sort of a, in, in very seed form or very, uh, very limited form is the promise of the Messiah. The seed of woman is going to come and give victory. And I think from beginning right there, all the way the rest of the Bible, there is one who's coming. And that's what we'd look at. There's one who's coming. Now, we've talked about this before, but you know, when, when, you, when you look at Adam and Eve, and, and of course she's not going to be named Eve until about verse 20, and when you look at this, you've got the man and the woman, and they produce a child. We're going to see it next time. They produce a child. And she says, I've got a child. We're going to name him Cain because I have gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. And that name Cain has that idea of from the Lord. And so she thinks when this baby is born, this child that she has, we call him Cain, she may say, there it is. That's the seed of woman. There is the Savior that we've waited for. It didn't take very long to realize it wasn't. Okay? But don't think they thought, okay, hundreds of years will pass before God brings this promise to us. He didn't say that at all. He said the seed of woman will crush the head of the serpent. So it's very powerful. There will be the bruising, the crushing, the destruction. The seed of woman, the Messiah, will crush the devil. Will Varner says this. He says the Messiah will suffer in the process of defeating Satan. And he did. He did on the cross. We call him the suffering servant. You look in the Old Testament, he's the suffering servant. He's going to be bruised and wounded and crushed for our iniquities. All we like sheep have gone astray, each one in the Lord on way, but the Lord has laid on him all our iniquities. And so he's going to gain the victory in the long run. The Word has more information. This is what we call progressive revelation. Starting right there is some information. You get a little further and there's more information. As you begin to go, it's going to be the seed of Abraham, the seed of Isaac, the seed of Jacob, the son of David, the, one, the, the son of man that Daniel talks about. And then finally John the Baptist points him out and says, there he is, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So progressive revelation in the Scripture it doesn't mean he changes anything. He just continues to add to the information that he gives us. So the man was born of the woman, uh, going to be born of woman, seed of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Judah, David. As Paul said, it's the seed of Christ. Three things that we see in this thing. We see the seed of woman where he's going to be human. He's going to be bruised and suffer, but he will crush Satan, which is the great victory over sin and death. And that's exactly what we see in Jesus Christ. At exactly the right, time, at right time, Jesus Christ became a human being. That's the human being. He suffered. He's the suffering servant. He was bruised, wounded, crushed, and he crushed Satan with a great victory over sin and death. And he died and rose again. So it's powerful. This is the first mention in the Scripture 
of a Redeemer and a Savior. Now, that's what he does here. And now he's going to move to the woman. And look what he says to the woman. Verse, 15, uh, verse 16. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you will bring forth children. Your, your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Now, there's uh, several things in this. And I, I always say there's two aspects in here. And the first one is going to be pain in childbirth. It's going to be pain in childbirth. He says, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. Now, the way it's written is, maybe it was going to hurt to have a baby anyway. Okay? I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. Some say maybe it was going to hurt a little bit, but it's really going to hurt. And, and if any of you have had babies, did it hurt? Yeah, it did. Now, we got things today that we say, I'll give you this epidural thing and I'll give you this other thing. But the bottom line, it hurts to have a baby. And you say, that, that, you know, wonder why you do that. So that every time a human being is coming in this world, there's going to be pain. Because we're going to have to realize that human beings are fallen. We come in this world dead in trespasses and sins. We come in this world needing that Savior. Every time we see a serpent, we say, mm, we sinned. Look at there. Every time a woman is having a baby and she's going, this is really hurting, don't touch that bed. Okay, okay, okay. Sorry. Right? What do we think of? We're sinners. We need a Savior. It's going to hurt. It's part of the curse. Now, because in pain, God brought forth His Son, Jesus Christ. In pain, human beings come into this fallen world. There's a second thing, and I want you to notice it, and I don't want you to get confused. He says, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain, you will bring forth children. And then he says, yet your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. The second thing is desire for husband. Now, some people historically have read this without understanding what the word means. And they'll say, okay, he's, here's the curse. It's going to hurt to have babies. You'll have your desire will be for your husband. So you'll have a desire to be with your husband, to have sexual relations with your husband. And then you'll get pregnant and you'll have a baby. And that's where it's going to hurt. So that's part of the curse. That's not what it's talking about at all. The word desire there literally means desire to rule. It actually says that the woman will desire to rule over her husband. That any women anywhere ever desire to rule over their husbands and to tell us what to do? Is that right? It does. And that's just part of this thing. The desire means the desire control. We're going to see it in chapter 4. We're going to see that word is only used one other time in the scripture. And it's found in Genesis chapter 4 where he's talking to Cain. And he's saying that this sin, this flesh that he's got is desiring to rule over him. Same word. So part of the curse is that the woman will desire to rule over the husband. Because we know that even before the fall, that the man was the leader. was placed in the headship position. The man has always been in the headship position. That's just the way God set it up. It has nothing to do with inferiority or superiority or anything. It's just different roles. In this passage, because of the fall, the woman will be desiring to rule. But notice what it says. Your husband, your desire will be for your husband, desire to rule for your, over your husband, and he will what? Rule over you. And this word has a, has a negative connotation. It's not where he's the loving leader that you find in Ephesians. This is where he desires to rule. And what you see throughout history is that woman desires and the man desires. A woman wants the headship in a sense. And the man says, you're not getting any headship. I'm the boss of this thing. Just look throughout the rest of the world. Look at the cultures that don't have the scripture and you see nations and where women are clothed in a certain way and walk behind the man and are counted as nothing. 
Count it as nothing. That's the result of the fall of man. That's the result of man wanting to rule over the woman. That's the result of all of this stuff. I mean, just look at other parts of the world. The greatest thing that happened to women was Jesus Christ and the beginning of the church and the teachings of the New Testament where men and women are equal in the sense of how they worship and everything. Even the headship and the leadership positions are not where the man rules as a boss, but he's a loving leader who gives his life for his wife, who loves her as the provider protector. It's a total different thing. But because of the fall, you see a conflict within the marriage of the woman desiring the rule and the man desiring to be the boss and to push her down, and, and you see some incredibly negative things that have gone on over throughout history. The only way this is dealt with is through Jesus Christ. When people believe in Christ as Savior and the man realizes he's the loving leader and the wife says, he's supposed to be in this position. I'm not desiring, not supposed to take over this thing. And so it's very powerful. So for the serpent, crawl on the belly and the seed of woman is going to crush the head of the serpent. For the woman, it's going to hurt to have a baby and she's going to desire to rule over the man, desire to push it, and he's going to push her down. It takes it to the man, okay? And, and this is powerful. And, and look, look what it says to the man, verse 17. Then to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you'll eat of it all the days of your life. Now the very first thing I want you to see that he says, he says, Because you've listened to the voice of your wife. Who is he supposed to listen to? God himself. God said to him, this is before the woman was ever created. Before he ever made the woman, he told the man, he says, of all the trees in the garden you may freely eat, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat from it. In the day you eat from it, what? Dying you shall surely die. He then said it was not good for the man to be alone. He brought all the animals by, man named him, and then he made the woman. And then Adam, the man, told the woman, her name is Isha. It's the Hebrew word for woman. It means out of man. The Hebrew word for man is ish. Isha means out of man. That's who, he, that's who the woman is. She came out from the man. His name, we call him Adamah, which means dirt. Adam. He was made from the dirt. That's what we're going to see in just a second. She doesn't have a name. She doesn't have a personal name. She's the Isha. So he'd say, woman, come here, woman. Come here, woman. And she'd say, okay, dirt, I'm coming. I'm coming. Because <laughs> that's what his name meant, Adamah. Okay, <laughs> that thing may have started earlier than we thought. But anyway, so <laughs> what does he say? He says, because you listen to the voice of your wife. We saw that fall. We saw that she saw the tree was good to food and all that. And it says she took and ate and gave to her husband who was what? With her. If you had the impression that she ate from the fruit and he was out in the field somewhere and didn't know what was going on, and comes over there and she says, oh, by the way, would you like to eat some of this? That's not what happened at all. He's right there where she pulls it off, right there where she eats and she gives to him. He knew. He should have stopped her. He should have said to the serpent, hey, 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 you don't talk to her. You talk to me. You talk to me. You leave her alone. Get away from the tree. I told you not to touch the tree. I told you not. That's what he should have done. But he didn't. Because he didn't take his leadership there. He didn't take his headship. He didn't do what he's supposed to do. And he let this happen. That's why it says that he sinned knowingly. She was deceived. He says, because you listen to the voice of your wife instead of listening to me is what he's implying. And you have, and, and you have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you. I didn't give you any suggestions here. I commanded you that you shall not eat from it. Do not eat from it. 
He says, here's the first thing. Cursed is the ground because of you in toil. You'll eat it all the days of your life. It's going it's to be toil. See, up to that point, now they had to till the garden and they had to take care of it. But it didn't have weeds and, and, and it, it, you know, it, it grew and it grew great. I mean, you could see them going, yeah, look at that. That's a, that looks good. You, you got the old green thumb. Yeah, well, there's nothing else to have. There's nothing else bad growing here. But now it's going to be different. Now it's going to be different. You're going to have to totally get the stuff to grow. He says, both thorns and See, until you lead it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles, it will grow for you. Now, if you don't do anything to your yard, what's going to grow? Weeds right on up. And you go out and you go, good gracious, alive. This looks, looks terrible. And it does. And they're there. And if you don't, you know, you get out and your plants, I don't do any of this stuff, but you get out there and what happens? If you don't go out and pull all that junk out, I mean, it just grows right up. And you're saying, how come this grows and this doesn't grow? Why? It's part of the curse. They want you to understand that every time you say, I'm going to have to get out there and do something about these weeds. You should say, because of what? Because of the fall. And every time you're out there saying, good night, we gotta go weed eat and get all this junk out and gotta pull all this stuff out. Why do we do that? Because of the fall. Every time you see a snake. Every time a woman hurts to have a baby. Every time there's conflict between the woman and the man. Every time you're out there saying, man, I don't know why we have to work so hard to get this stuff to grow. It's because of the fall. Now he's not through. Because he says, by the sweat of your face, verse 19, you will eat bread till you return to the ground. What? Yeah. Remember I said in the day that you eat from that, what's going to happen to you? Die and you shall die. He's going, what, you, what is dying exactly? Well, here's what's going to happen. You're going to return to the ground because from it you were taken. What's his name? Adamah, dirt, dust. Because you were taken from it for you are dust. And to dust you shall return. There's a physical death in there. Dying physically, dying spiritually, you can die physically. He already told him that, but that's part of the curse. He already said, in the day you eat that fruit, dying, you shall surely die. Dying physically, you're going to die. I mean, dying spiritually, you're going to die physically. And that's exactly what happened. He said, literally, you're the ground. And it is so true that when people die, what happens to their bodies over time? They just disintegrate, don't they? They just turn to dust. Because that's what God said. Every time somebody dies, what do we remember? The wages of sin is death. Because of the fall of man, there's a serpent on his belly, and a woman hurts to have a baby, and there's conflict in the family, and the man toils to, to earn a living, and people die physically. So every time all that happens, we should go. That goes back to the fall. goes back to the fall. And it's amazing. Some people say, I don't even know if all this was real. We don't even know if it was Adam or Eve or, or anything. You think there was? Of course there was. Why'd all this happen? Alan Ross, who was my seminary professor, said, so much for the ambition to be divine. Right? It'll make you like God. Okay. Eat this fruit, we'll be like God. No, no, no. You eat that fruit, you die. That's a big difference in being God. Wow. 
The curse reminds us of the sin, the snake, the pain, the conflict, the labor, the physical death. We realize that man has sinned and there are consequences. And God's judgment, sinning by eating, they, you know, they suffered. She let, I mean, think about it. They ate. She, she, she led her husband in the sin. He would now rule over her. There's pain and childbearing, all of that. Now, not through. Because you think, this has been a pretty good place to live. It's a special garden that he made. It's called the Garden of Eden. It's a special place that he made to put them, to begin to start everything. And it was unique and special. But look what's going to happen. The curses have been spoken. But but in the midst of the curses, there's the grace. There's the seed of woman. There's the Messiah. Notice verse 20. Now the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all the living. Now the name Eve means the living one or the life. Why did he do that? Why did he change her name right then? Up to this point, she's been Isha, woman. Why did he say, from now on, you're going to be called life, living? Why? Because through her, what's coming? The Messiah, the Savior is coming through her. And she's going to be in the one that's going to bring the life. And I think also symbolically is they believed God. They believed his promise. They believed the curses, but they believed the promise. There's a woman. I mean, there's a, from the seed of woman, there's a Messiah coming. And I think that from this point on, it, she's living in that sense. And she's going to be the one who brings the Messiah into the world. That's what we're thinking. And there's the hope there. The hope of eternal life that's coming. Realize the promise of Genesis 3.15 is really the Savior. They took God at His word. They realized there was going to be pain. They realized all of these different things. But they also realized there's a Savior. So He names her living. Then God does something. Look what He does. Verse 21. And as we look at this, S. Lewis Johnson, who was a great Bible teacher, used to teach at Dallas Seminary, said this. He says, He calls this the description of the one of the most eloquent object lessons on grace Ever given. What does God do? Look at the next verse. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Now, how did he do that? He had to kill something, didn't he? Let's just say it was some lamb, something. He killed an animal and took the skin and covered them up. Now, what had they been doing? How have they covered themselves? With fig leaves. See, they went and said, you know, we're naked. We better cover up. And so they covered up. And God says, you, you can't cover your sin. All you're doing is trying to hide your sin. And see, that's what, that's what we do as people. We try to hide our sin. We do something wrong. We hide it. What should we do with our sin? Hide it. Confess it. And God says, honey, you can't hide your sin. But I'm going to cover your sin. And so the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed to them. The fig leaves had been inadequate. Look at the contrast. Uh, man's covering fig leaves tried to hide sin. God's covering the animal skin was to cover sin. And that's going to be a foreshadow and a picture. Because from that point on, every animal sacrifice was a foreshadow of God's covering. covering. Now, there were some sacrifices that had nothing to do with sin. There were sacrifices that had to do with sin. But every sacrifice that had to do with sin was a covering by an animal. To cover the sins. Marcus Dodd said they needed to learn that sin could not be covered by a bunch of leaves. But by the pain and blood 
of death. They watched an animal die. How many, what death had they seen before? What physical death had they ever seen before? None whatsoever. They watched an animal die, bloodshed, and then given to them. And what they thought was, you mean that animal died for us? That's right. That's right. And they began to realize, you know, this is really serious. And this didn't do anything but cover their sins. And the promise is one day the seed of woman is going to come. He's going to deal with this whole thing. And the foreshadow is the Messiah is going to die. Suffer and die for us. And we're going to say, you mean he had to die for me? Yeah, he did. He died in your place. We see the beginning of a sacrificial system. And uh, sacrifices were made in the Old Testament. Animals were killed. Blood was shed. Not to pay for sin, but to cover sin. What was the, the most holy day in the Old Testament for the Jewish people? What was it called? Anybody know? The day of what? Day of Atonement, the day of covering, Yom Kippur. It was when they covered their sins. They didn't pay for sin, they knew that. They would take a bull for the priest and a goat for the people, and they would kill these animals, and blood would be poured out, and these animals had to die in their places, and it only covered their sins. Didn't pay for their sins. And every time a person sinned, and they took an animal to the temple, and they said, I sinned, and they put their hands on top of that animal, and the priest would cut the throat of that animal because they were symbolically saying, my sin is going on that animal, and they'd cut the throat, the animal would die in their place, they'd put it up on that altar, and they would say, that animal took my place. Beginning right here, God says, I'm going to show you something. You're going to have to have a sacrifice and a substitute. And for us, the sacrifice and the substitute is Jesus Christ. In this, this Old Testament system, the sacrifices pointed to the coming Messiah, the seed of woman, and covered man's sin. So when you read the Old Testament and you see the sacrificial system, and I've had people say, why in the world do they kill all those animals? Why? Because there has to be death. The, without the shedding of blood, there could be no what? Forgiveness. Hebrews 9.22 had to be a death and the shedding of blood to cover sin and have forgiveness. Wow. When Jesus Christ comes as the Lamb of God, or later on, if you put, I think it's up there, is it? Yeah, Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's when John the Baptist saw Jesus walking by, and the people looked at him, and he said, there's the Lamb of God who covers the sin of the world. Is that what he said? The Lamb of God who covers the sin of the world? Is that what he said? No, he said the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is the final sacrifice for sin forever. It is said that Jesus knew that death would not pass over him, but at the cross it would make its final stop. So it's powerful. Alan Ross, once again, my, one of my seminary professors, taught Hebrew there. He said, this is the divine provision. The animal's life is taken. The, sin, the skin covers their shame. This is the pattern of substitution as the animal takes man's place. God brings the satisfactory clothing. Do we understand the substitution of Jesus Christ? You hear people theologically say the substitutionary atonement. What they're saying is Jesus Christ died in our place. He died the sinner's death. He was the final sin offering. He stood as our substitute, our sacrifice, and the satisfaction. I want you to see something because there's a foreshadow here. 
because this was from the Lord. It was a substitute and a blood sacrifice. It was from the Lord because he's the one that came up with the animal. But in the foreshadow from the Lord is Jesus Christ is the one sent from the Father. It was a substitute. That animal took their place. Christ is our substitute. For he hath made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. And it was a blood sacrifice. And Christ is the blood sacrifice. First Peter 1.18. We're redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. So it's really powerful. Well, there's one more aspect here. And look what he says, verse 22. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Is that true? Yes. Like one of us. Who's the us? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Just realize that, that even though we got God talking, he says plural. He's become like one of us because of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He says he's become like one of us, knowing good and evil. And now he might stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. There, there are two trees in the garden. There's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the middle and the tree of life. Now, you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, what do you get? Knowledge of good and evil. You eat from the tree of life, what do you get? Life. He says, I don't want them to eat from the tree of life because they're in a fallen state. Mankind's fallen. He's got to come and have a redeemer and a savior, and man's got to die and rise again, in a sense. So he doesn't want them to eat from the tree of life and live forever in a fallen state. He's not saying, I don't want them to eat from the tree and have eternal life. You don't get eternal life from that tree, not that way. You'd live forever in a fallen state. He doesn't want that. John Walford used to be president of Dallas Seminary. He said, eating from the tree of life, they would have a physical life forever. And, and how are they going to be able to, to die with Christ and be buried and rise again with him? He says, they can't do that. God is going to remove Adam and Eve from the garden. So they'll not eat from that tree that will keep them in that fallen state forever. And you know, it looked bad to them when he said, out, get out, get out, get out, get out. You cannot eat from this tree. He said, that's a good tree. It's the tree of life. And what looked bad to them was really good for them because they couldn't eat from that tree. And sometimes in our lives, things come in our lives and we go, that's not good. That's not good. Well, not everything is good, but God takes everything and works all things together for good. Look what he did. He drove them out. He said, therefore, verse 23, the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. Notice how he put it. You go back, take care of the ground out here. That's where you came from anyway. Take care of it. Wow. What else does he do? So he drove the man out. And at the east of the Garden of Eden, he stationed the cherubim. Now, Cherubim's plural. Cherub is singular. Cherubim is plural. It's Hebrew plural. He, he stationed some angels there. And the flaming sword which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. Paradise lost. They can't go back in there. They can't go back to the place where God had it all set up for them. And he's got angels there and a flaming sword which turns in every direction to guard the tree of life so they won't go eat the tree of life. Ryrie says that sin affects others as Eve's sin affected Adam and Adam's sin affected the entire human race. Let me ask you a question. What happened to the Garden of Eden? I mean, we have an idea of where it is, right? It's where the Tigris-Euphrates River is, and it's in the Fertile Crescent. It's over there, Iran, Iraq, right? 
Has anybody seen it lately? What happened to it? I think that the flood and the catastrophe of the earth, I think, is, is all gone. The penalty of sin, spiritual death, physical death, and ultimately eternal death, except for the hope of the seed of woman. They leave and they start their new lives, obedient to God. They're going to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. That's the plan. And when you look at chapter 4, look how it starts. And the man had relations with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. That's how it starts. Chapter 4. We say, well, I, I, I think they're doing okay, because what did he tell them originally? Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. He, he's put them out there, and they, they're going to start over, and they have hope. They have the hope of life, and, and, and she's... Eve, the, the living one, and, and so there's going to be some great things happen. And you know, they're going to have a baby, and that baby, good gracious, there it is. Seed of woman. It's not. Actually, seed of man there. Because it said, the man had relations with his wife. The seed of woman that comes in the future is not born of a man. It's born of the Holy Spirit and the woman. That's why it's the seed of woman. We'll see that. What are we saying? The man and woman hid from God, guilt and fear. God came for the man and woman, wanted them to admit their sin. They both passed the blame. We see the curses and the cure, the curses to remind us of sin and the cure, the seed of woman who will deal with sin. Let me give you some applications. The first one is realize the consequences of sin. I mean, think about it. What are they? Well, we got the fall of man. We've got, just go ahead and go into it. You've got the guilt. You've got the fear. You've got... The loss of fellowship, you have spiritual death, all of that are the consequences of sin. Think about it, we fail, there's the guilt, there's fear, they're hiding, there's shame, there's the loss of fellowship, there's spiritual death. All happen when man sinned. From life to death, from pleasure to pain, from abundance to toil. Which sin is the curse, and we're all under it. And we come into this world dead in trespasses and sins. We are sinners. Realize the consequences, the curse. Every time we see a snake, every time there's labor pains, every time we toil in our jobs, every time there's husband-wife conflicts, every time somebody dies, you should remember the sin. Sin equals death, and the consequences of sin is death. Second. Deal with our sin. Now, God's dealt with sin as a whole. He's already sent the Messiah. But for us, because what we saw in this passage is when they sinned, they didn't deal with it. They passed the buck. What should we do? We should confess our sins. We should forsake our sins. We don't pass the blame on our sins. We should tell on ourselves. We shouldn't say, well, it's just my background, and I'm just a victim of my circumstances. And if they hadn't done that, I wouldn't have done that. We need to say, I'm accountable for my actions. And when I sin, I confess my sin. That's what God wanted. The third thing is, is the great one is let's proclaim the cure for sin. And that's Jesus Christ, the seed of woman who will crush the head of the serpent. He is the provision. He is John 129, the substitute, the one who dies in our place, the Lamb of God. Jonathan Edwards said this. He said, there's a choice concerning Jesus Christ. You can ignore him or embrace him, but you can't avoid him. And you can't avoid the consequences of your choice. He is the only one who can save. You remember uh, two weeks ago, Sunday morning, it is impossible for a man to save himself. And it's only possible through Jesus Christ. God has a provision. He is the Savior. And may we realize the consequences of sin, fall, guilt, separation. May we deal with our own sins by confessing it and deal with it. And may we proclaim to people the cure, Jesus Christ, who is the substitute and the sacrifice 
for our sin. Well, let's pray, and then what we'll do is we'll have the Lord's Supper. It'll be a great time, uh, and, and we'll explain some things in just a second. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a great night. Thank you for Jesus, and thank you for the provision that you have for us. Lord, may we understand uh, how all this fits together and realize the consequences of sin, and that every time we see a snake or the pain in childbirth or conflicts or someone dies or, or we work hard and toil, we just realize that's all part of the consequences of sin. Thank you, Lord, that you have dealt with sin, that you send the seed of woman, the Messiah, the Redeemer, and he has dealt with sin. May we deal with sin in ourselves, that we confess it and forsake it and don't pass the blame, but deal with it and we know you're faithful and just to forgive us. Lord, may we clearly proclaim to people in this community the only way of salvation is Jesus Christ, the seed of woman, the seed of Abraham, the son of David, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Thank you, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.